Good morning, Goldendale, and hello to all of my fellow liberty-loving Americans all across the fruited plains from sea to shining sea. This is the host who loves you the most, Luke Throop here on another wild, whimsical Wednesday, friends. It's a wise sort of Wednesday. It's going to be a bit of a philosophical Wednesday, really working toward envisioning a great American reset. Report 386, envisioning a great American reset. You know, I believe that where there is a will, there is a way, even though we've lost our way. And as we're trying to see ourselves through all of this and, and chart a path forward, we have to realize that emotions cloud judgment, right? Emotions cloud judgment. Now, is there anyone in the world that would disagree with that statement? Isn't it fair to ask? You know, isn't it true? that emotions cloud judgment, and anybody in their right mind can agree with that statement. There's no reason to disagree with this statement because it's emphatically true. Now, isn't it also true that there are many such phrases, many such statements of truth that everyone in the world could, in theory, agree with? You know, logical statements like, well, the sun will come up tomorrow. The sun will come up tomorrow. You can bet your heart and dollar that tomorrow. Okay. People are going to agree with that. How about the statement like everyone has their own preference, right? Doesn't, isn't that true? Won't, you know, most people be able to see that and agree with that. Why would anybody disagree or argue with that? Now, these logical statements, sometimes they seem so innocuous, so obvious that they they seem it seems like they don't even need to get said at all except for when somebody needs a reminder right so if if the uh, you know somebody's feeling like oh my gosh it's the end of the world and doom and gloom it's like hey you know what the sun will come up tomorrow you know there, there's there's reason there or you know you're bickering and fighting like i think we should do it this way i think we should do it that way okay yeah but everybody has their own preference and there's more than one right way to do things i mean there's wrong ways too but you know sometimes we just need a reminder of these basic truths. And as I've been discussing since last week, you know, I believe that we need to have a vision for our country, a vision for our future, a vision of unity that catapults American culture beyond this bickering and the vitriol, beyond the perpetual conflict that is baked into our corrupt two-party system. Now, wouldn't it be nice if we could get people to get along and agree to disagree long enough to take care of practical things, you know, like making civil decisions and, and managing our commit uh, our communities and all of that, you know, national defense and, and, and the basics of government. You know, we don't have to fight over women's rights or trans rights in order to fill the potholes. Right. I mean, in theory. Now, wouldn't it be something? If if people could just start working together again, you know, get together, work side by side with other people, people who think differently, people who believe differently, wouldn't it be something if we could get together and work side by side with different people to achieve common goals? Isn't that something? I mean, like a nice idea, right? And I realize it all may sound completely Pollyannish. You may be thinking, Luke, you damn pacifist. What the hell are you talking about? You know, this is impossible. We're so far beyond the point of working together and all of that. And, and if that's your stance, I don't disagree. But wouldn't it be nice, right? We got to peer into the future and try to, you know, perceive the possibilities. Wouldn't it be nice? That's the thing about a vision, a vision has to project an ideal, an ideal that in theory is attainable and yet 
Nonetheless, the thing about a vision is it seems so distant and remote that it causes people to wonder, is this even possible? Could we really get together and get beyond perpetual conflict and work together with people we disagree with to achieve common goals? Is that possible? Is it possible to uproot the entrenched two-party system? Can we put the two-party platforms to rest once and for all and pave a way forward with a fresh political process? Is that, is that possible? And I ask because I do not believe that it would be possible for us to correct course. I don't believe that we can correct course and restore our republic our constitutional republic, unless we deal with the very large, very real, very obstinate and obese and power-crazed beasts that are standing in our way, the beast of bureaucracy, the great archetypes of the elephant and the donkey, what the Republican and the Democrat parties have come to represent. These are incongruent with the way things that are and incongruent with the way things should be, I believe, especially the way things we hope things should be. And so our great obstacle right now is this entrenched two-party establishment. We need to get beyond that. The vision for the future of bringing our country together so we're not ripping ourselves apart, dividing ourselves to allow ourselves to be uh, conquered you know, from the outside and all that, or from within, we have to have a unifying vision. And right now, the Republican and Democrat Party, that that's not the unifying vision. That's the obstacle. These uh, these parties are ultimately the withering remnants of an old way of life, old ways of thinking, outdated processes, the vestiges of a political system rooted in and stemming from a bygone era. Things are not as they were. And there is no way of going back to the way that it was. We cannot put the genie back in the bottle. We cannot deny what we now know. Things have changed, have they not? We have new information here. We have new ways of doing things. We have new technologies. There's lots of things that come to bear in the conversation. Nor can we ignore the perilous importance of our current circumstance. Friends, we are on the cusp, on the precipice of a defining moment in history. This is a moment in history that will define what the foreseeable future looks like. Major, major stuff is happening. The fourth industrial revolution, artificial intelligence, etc. We are in the midst of, on top of all of that, we're in the midst of a fourth turning. To uh, draw upon the generational theory of Strauss and how, you know, the fourth turning is the great crisis that leads to revolution. And history has shown us that these cycles of societal crisis are predictable. And now we understand this crisis must run its course. Then, out of the rubble of existing order, a new social structure will rise. Just like prior to the Revolutionary War, the great American Revolution, there was no constitutional republic, a, a, a country founded as free of by, of, by, and for the people, a country of free individuals. That didn't exist until the American Constitution. In the same way, there's going, you know, there, there's a the Constitution is under attack and undermined from every uh, angle. We don't have to recreate the wheel. I say we can just get back to the basics of the Constitution. But even with that structure of the Constitution, there's going to be a new societal structure that just has to be out of the rubble of existing order. A new social structure structure will rise, and they understand this. But do we understand this? Do we understand this passing 
of the old to make room for the new? Or are we clinging on to the idea that it's going to go back to the way that it was? It's not going to happen. So, you know, they understand this. And by they, of course, I mean the globalists. I mean the secret cabal of global elites who are conspiring through their myriad international organizations and public-private partnerships to forcefully impose their will upon the whole of humanity, whether we want it or not. That's what they're up to. They intend to cull and to control the herd of humanity with unrestricted authority, mind you. They intend to proportion the population to whatever level they've decided is sustainable. They intend to dictate the structure and the details of our daily lives. Friends, we've we've dealt with all this in, in depth, in depth now, uh, but that's their vision, their collectivist vision. What's our vision? You know, their collectivist vision for the future is one of digital bondage, wherein every person on the planet must succumb to the will of the state. Every person must accept every state mandate, comply with every state regulation, pay every state tax, report every time the state asks. You got to report. You got to report. Now you got to you got to mask up, whatever. You know, you got to do whatever the state says. You got to say whatever the state says to say. You have to think whatever the state says, you know, they want you to think you, you're not allowed to believe or behave any way beyond that, you know, those, those so, uh, carefully managed social expectations, right? The expectations that are being imposed by the state. If you want to be a good human, you better shut up and pay your taxes, peasant, you know, under the threat of penalty, imprisonment and pain. This is the vision of centralized control. This is the vision that the globalists are working towards. And of course, you know, we talked about future earth and all that, but they, they call it efficient. They call it necessary. They claim that the centralized control is to serve the most vulnerable, to keep people safe and, and to save the planet. And that it's for the greater good and that and global problems, they require global solutions or so they say. And using this erroneous justification they mystify the masses with science and data and law. Most people do not realize that the science is predetermined. The data is covertly created. The law becomes sacred in nature. Who can question the science? Who can deny the data? Who can escape the law? Friends, the answer is we, the people. We must question the science. We must challenge the data. We must challenge the law. We must stay curious. Who paid for this science anyway? Who was out there collecting this data or where did they create this data from, right? Who wrote this law and by what authority do they assume to hold me accountable to it? Hmm, you know, are these tasks not being completed by human beings? Meaning, is it not human beings who are writing the science and collecting the data and writing the law and all that? And if, it, if, if they are human beings, aren't these human beings fallible? Can't they be wrong? You know, it doesn't matter if somebody's a labeled an expert, right? Because experts are human too. And again, can't we all agree on this. No matter what a person's political persuasion is, we should be able to agree on this. Now, the uh, the interesting thing about this, 
the fact that we're all human, experts are human too, that means experts make mistakes. Experts confuse facts for their own opinions. Experts evaluate life through the prism of their own subjective human experience. That's just the way it is. Experts, in theory, then, are our equals. And if anyone believes in the idea of equality, which many, many people do, they're very obsessed with this idea of equality, then the fact that experts are our equals, that must necessarily be true. Experts are equally as likely to have a bad day or to overlook some critical detail or, or to be bold in making their predictions, but be bold in making their mistakes because this is all part of being a human being, is it not? And the same thing goes for the, uh, the politicians, right? They're just like the experts. They're people too. And that's precisely why any form of top-down centralized control inevitably fails because the people at the top inevitably fail because the people at the top are still human. Though uh, more and more they've become infected with these uh, these transhumanist fantasies, like the people at the top right now, you know, these apex predators of the global elite, they f are fantasizing about this transhumanist agenda, right? About becoming some sort of monstrous tech enhanced cyborg, because then, then when they got the microchip in their brain, then they can really be powerful. Then they can really rule by force and they can really be like gods, at least in their own twisted minds. But back in reality, of course, the world keeps turning. The seasons keep changing. Humanity keeps evolving as time marches on infinitely into the wild mystery of the great unknown. Kingdoms will rise and fall. Epics will come and go. Prophecy will run its course. Friends, this is all objectively verifiable. It is intuitively true, and it is directly observable fact. Would you agree? Would anybody disagree with what I've said? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't, I'm trying to be just purely logical here. You know, it's so obvious that it typically goes without saying. People don't state the obvious because, I mean, come on, everybody knows that, right? Well, yeah, except for right now, it seems like a lot of people need a reminder about what's real and what's not real, right? That's, that's kind of what I'm getting at here. As we're trying to envision the future, we need to remind people the difference between what's real and what's not real. So to do that, let's go ahead and zoom out a little bit farther. Zoop, go way out here for a second. Because any unifying vision ultimately must account for these universal facts, you know, just as one must account for the reality and the limitations and the opportunities of current circumstance, you know, there, this is this is what we're dealing with here. There are also these overarching universal facts, and we got to keep all of that in mind. Nature, which is the foundation of and source of natural law, is ruthlessly indifferent to the human plight. Right. Nature and natural law, you know, nature shines upon the criminal, upon the clergy and upon the children just the same. The storm does not care what it destroys. Luck and chance will affect us all. That's just the facts of life. And of course, by extension, we keep natural law in mind. Any political order that is predicated on natural law 
must be similarly indifferent to the whims of human emotion. Emotions cloud judgment. And I'm getting what I'm getting at here is you think about the political platforms, all of the emotionally charged issues. They are designed specifically to evoke the emotion, but natural law is indifferent to human emotion. And this is critical because if political order, the future political order I'm talking about here is not based on natural law, if it's based on the the malleable emotions, the wishful thinking, the false assumptions or the concepts that are incongruent with reality, if that's the case, then society is destined to collapse. And I believe our Constitution was founded on natural law, you know, and we're here now, you know, going into this crisis and this collapse because we've drifted away from it. And and perhaps societies always are always destined to collapse, you know, if only because human nature tends to drift further and further away from nature's nature, right? We get all caught up in the mental illusions, the mental mirage. It becomes difficult to distinguish or discern the difference between what we think and what's actually real. This is part of the human condition. And of course, as that drift away from nature happens, chaos inevitably ensues. And as a result of that, this unnatural behavior, it leads to painful and unnecessary outcomes. And that's right. That's what's driving the crisis right now. And thus, you know, unnatural behavior is undesirable, or at least it should be. And yet unnatural behavior is all around us on full display all the time. Why? And what do we do about it? Now, <laughs> Friends, thank you for bearing with me, by the way. This is, you know, I'm really hashing this all out, but I want to bring it back down to the practical level for a second. One need not pontificate about the nuance of unnatural human behavior. We just need to recognize that evil is just as natural and inherent as goodness. And that means that we must address these evils when casting a broader vision. That's what the Constitution was intended to do, to put shackles on the beast of bureaucracy, shackles on the government to restrict the government from becoming this, this uh, unmanageable, unruly beast. In the same way, as we, as we look forward and we envision a great American reset, whether we're resetting to the constitutional principles, which I believe we should, or we're extracting those same principles and, and uh, tailoring the, the the ability to communicate, I don't know what I say, tailoring our communication of those principles to connect with a, a newer generation, right? It's the same principles are timeless, like the laws of physics, but we can tailor how we communicate those principles in a way that connects with a younger generation. Potentially, that's necessary. We'll see. But the reality is, when we're envisioning what's going on, it, it's, we need to deal with the fact that right now, evil is ruling the day. Evil is driving this unfolding crisis. It is evil that fuels the fourth turning. And it also fuels the righteous desire to resist and to battle and to restore natural balance. I say resist. We must. Resistance is the spice of life. But Luke, Luke, what the hell are you getting at here? Come on. Now, friends, I realize I realize this may all seem like extemporaneous philosophical fluff, but it's important extemporaneous philosophical fluff. I'm erecting the pillars of logic upon which I hope to construct a vision that appeals to the innate intelligence embedded within human nature. There's something here that we don't have to argue or bicker about because we all know it's true. If I could just figure out and find the words to communicate that, that would be great. <laughs> you know, and, I, and of course... I'm not naive. 
enough to believe that, you know, people are, I'm, you know, everybody's going to agree. Of course not. You know, I don't think that everybody's even going to try to understand. Some people are like, eh, I'm just not listening today or I don't really get where it, whatever, you know, now the, you know, ultimately I'm just thinking this through for myself, friends. And that's, you know, that I say, you know, torch reports, the truth, you can trust me. I'm throwing it all out there. You know, I'm thinking through this here and I'm inviting your mind to join my mind on this journey. We do need a vision. It must reconcile with natural reality. Our vision for the future must bridge the divide between different beliefs. It must appeal equally to those who are inclined to disagree. If we want to get beyond perpetual conflict, we have to agree to disagree. So we have to lay a vision out there that people can agree on even though they disagree. Does that make sense? Our vision must provide a path forward toward working together on common goals despite our often conflicting objectives. Life is not fair. There's always competition. There are going to be winners. There are going to be losers. We don't all get to be right. Some level of conflict is inevitable. I'm not, I'm not denying that. There will always be bad people in the world. There will always be corrupt politicians and other criminal elements. Humanity, as you well know, is just messy like that. And yet, friends, we are incredible creatures. There are really no limits to what we can accomplish, especially what we can accomplish working together, except those limits that are imposed through our individual and collective ignorance, our not knowing or not thinking. And it's for this reason, friends, that I believe any vision for a great American reset must begin with a friendly reminder of the obvious, a gentle recalibration of thought and a reconciliation of our personal perspectives with the objective reality that engulfs us. And I understand that most people will not be taking this journey. <laughs> most people are like, ah, nah, give me some popcorn. Where's my Netflix? But I do believe the path forward will be forged by those who do. Friends, please try to peer into the future. Tell me what, look beyond the destruction, beyond the crisis. Do you see people coming together? Do you see Tears streaming down dust-covered cheeks. Do you see the embrace between enemies? Was it really worth all of the pain? In the rubble, friends, we might find ourselves asking, did we have to take it that far? And perhaps we did. Regardless, we can know for sure that it could not have been any other way. Sometimes we have to suffer to see the light. And friends, that is the message of my heart for today. In the interest of time, I will continue this conversation on to Into Tomorrow. And if you're enjoying this conversation, please do me the great honor. Take the time to find the heart. I know... Uh, I know a lot of you guys listen and you're busy and you don't have time, but if you just click the email, go to the website, click the heart and give me some love, it boosts me in the algorithms. Friends, subscribe if you have not subscribed already. And of course, the greatest honor of all is if you share this podcast with everyone you know. Get out there and embrace this terrific Tuesday. I'm sorry. Get out there and embrace this wild, whimsical, wise sort of Wednesday. Friends, and I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. <laughs>